the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is. Tuesday, the seventh morning of the twelfth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense. But always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. 
no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. that I interpret the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Pearl Harbor wasn't my time. 9-11 was my time. And how many times through the last 20 years on September 11th do we remind ourselves and are we told this was the most shocking and unbelievable and devastating event in the history of the United States since Pearl Harbor? We talk about 9-11 as being our Pearl Harbor, the younger generation, the millennial generation, my generation, Gen Z, or Gen X, rather, the millennials, Gen Z, which are my kids, 9-11 is, 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 is something we can relate to, something we experience, something we live through. I didn't live through Pearl Harbor. But now 80 years to the day since that shocking and incredulous attack on our naval forces at Pearl Harbor, 80 years later, I want to give it a little bit of special attention because the one thing that we have said since we lived through 9-11 is that we would what? Never forget. We say never forget 9-11. We said it on 9-11-2001. We'll never forget this. We said it on 9-12-2001, and we've said it most of the time since. Even though, sadly, just after 20 years since that event... I think, sadly, a lot of people have forgotten. 
in our very divided country. But we always said never forget 9-11. And 80 years after the attack on Pearl Harbor, I just want the family members, the descendants of those who lost their lives, both at Pearl Harbor and in the war that followed as a result of Pearl Harbor, I want them to know that we haven't forgotten. Even those of us who didn't live through it. Even those of us who were too young for that. We haven't forgotten. This was your moment. We, we try, probably very ineffectively, to compare it to our moment, which was 9-11. But this was your moment. And it's something that I am certain those who are still alive, and I know it's probably precious few, 80 years after um, the attacks by the Japanese Empire, probably precious few people who actually are still alive and who lived through that and who can recall it, maybe if you were a very young child, but you probably don't recall it, um, but certainly the children of those who lived through it and who were told what had happened in the same way that we told our children what happened on 9-11. For you, I just want you to know that we haven't forgotten. We haven't forgotten the shock and the horror of waking up that morning to find out what was going on. You didn't have wall-to-wall cable news coverage of it and video of it the way we did 9-11. You had to rely on radio reports for the most part. You had to rely on speeches by the president to find out details it's not the same but it's probably seared in your memory just as much as falling buildings are in ours and we want you to know that we care and we want you to know that we are grateful for those who gave their lives and lost their lives in the attack and then those that certainly gave their lives and put their lives on the line to avenge that attack and not just for the sake of vengeance of course But the war in the Pacific, the war in the Pacific theater, which of course coincided then with our entry into the war on the European front against Hitler, um, that, that was about more than just vengeance. It was about making sure that it never happened again. And the way we fought that war, again, particularly in the Pacific theater, and the way we ended that war, with two bombs and two strategic locations, made sure that it will never happen again. So just on this 80th anniversary, I felt it appropriate to start our program by making sure that Roosevelt's words were accurate ones when he said December 7, 1941, a day which will live in infamy. I wanted to make sure that those words were true and that those words were accurate. It is infamous, and it is something we should never, ever forget. Not when it's 80 years in the rearview mirror, and not when that time comes that it's 180 years in the rearview mirror. December 7, 1941 should always be commemorated with respect and deep observances of the loss of life and the aftermath that it brought, that it brought forth. So for those who... Uh, Those who do remember a little bit, those who studied their history a little bit, those who only heard it down the line, 
Um, let's let's try to remember this day. Having said that, uh, I want to say this. It is a Tuesday, and it is Kersenau Day. Peter Kersenau will be with us coming up at 1010. We will hear from uh, former congressman and former um, uh, Trump uh, assistant in the White House, Mark Meadows. He will be with us coming up at 935. He is a a very, very important man, obviously. He is the co-founder of the Freedom Caucus in the uh, the, uh, House of Representatives. And Mark Meadows uh, will be joining us to talk about his new book at 935. So Mark Meadows and Peter Kirsten are our guests today. Before we take our first break, let's start our day with the Pledge of Allegiance. Obviously, I started the day with the... um, uh, with the FDR speech, but uh, please go ahead and join us now as uh, we get the official program started. Patriot stand, face your flag if you have one. If you don't, that's okay. Go ahead and uh, uh, pretend you do. Put your hand on your heart. Leftists, we understand. You don't have to do anything. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all it is 919 we'll be right back on am 1420 the answer ohio's first station is now the answer for northeast ohio we're am 1420 the answer Okay, 923, we continue now at AM 1420, The Answer. It was a really great story that I read this morning as I kind of got my day going and prepared for this program. And just a a little bit more about Pearl Harbor, just some veterans uh, talking about how extraordinarily important it is for us to find a way to unite today. We were united, of course, during our version of Pearl Harbor, as I mentioned, which was 9-11. We were united I mean, literally, at, at shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, in in uh, 1941, uh, when we were brought into the war, and when uh, when Pearl Harbor attacked, because we had to be. It's the only way to survive. And now veterans are saying, you know, we might not have been attacked in the same way recently, but the division that we face right now is just as deadly as a foreign invasion. And I think it's true too. Uh, one New York-based veteran. Uh, a father of four said, "We, when we are united as a country, we cannot be defeated. That's my takeaway. What happened after Pearl Harbor shows that when we stand together, we cannot be beaten. He said, a lot of young guys enlisted during World War II to be a part of the war effort. Many of them were even underage. They wanted to help this country, to help our country. They wanted to win. There was a feeling of unity toward a common goal. That same veteran, who then served during the Vietnam era himself, said, if we don't unite today... We will certainly fall. I don't think there's any question about that. Jeremy Martin, an Army veteran from Shelby, Ohio, uh, said the response to the attack on Pearl Harbor represented an American legacy, a legacy of courageous men and women willing to stand up and defend liberty at home and abroad. It's because the greatest generation was willing to stand up to tyranny abroad that my family is able to live in peace and prosperity here at home today. He said, I served overseas in the Army in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Inherent Resolve. And today, 80 years after Pearl Harbor, I'm proud to be a part of that long-standing legacy. It's my hope and prayer that the sleeping giant that was awakened 80 years ago will still have the courage, will, and fortitude to pursue peace and strength for generations to come. And this is where I want to depart from that part of the narrative 
and and bring a, 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 a you know a jolt of reality to the conversation. Do you think today's population of beta males who are being told and being raised with the belief that toxic masculinity is a problem and something that one should strive to uh, remove from their bodies, remove from their mindsets. Do you think that today's generation of males, if we can even agree to define what is a male and what is a female, would be able and willing to stand up and respond to an attack the likes of Pearl Harbor? Do you think our military, which has consumed so much of its time trying to be politically correct, trying to be woke, trying to make sure that the right pronouns are used in the barracks during the boot camps, trying to make sure that there are enough pregnant flight suits for our pregnant female uh, fighter pilots. Do you think that today's American military, led by the likes of Lloyd Austin and Mark Milley, with a commander-in-chief as weak-kneed and pathetic as our current commander-in-chief, would be able to rise up and unite against the forces behind an invasion like the one that we suffered 80 years ago today? So I use this opportunity today to commemorate the sacrifice of those who lost their lives and the heroism of those who went to war 80 years ago, who literally ran to their recruiting stations, ran down to their boards and said, sign me up. I want to get in. I want payback. I want to stop and I want to kill those those you-know-whats. We're not allowed to say the, the word today. It's considered a slur to refer to the Japanese uh, of the time by that, that word. And there I am playing part of the politically correct woke game there. But it's where we are. That's the point. That's the point. We look back at those heroes and we wonder, what would our heroes today look like? Would they even exist would our military allow them to bring their their manhood and their male privilege and their toxic masculinity into the armed services, or would they have to prove their wokeness first? Would there be a box as they signed up to go to war that said gender fluid, unsure, dual species, not, not exactly uh, confident about who and what I am. You think that would be acceptable? You think that would work? Do you think we'd be able to come together and fight? I'm terrified, to be quite frank. When I look back at what our military once was, and I look at what our military is today, I'm terrified. And I will tell you this. Joe Biden, otherwise known as Brandon, is having a conference call today, a video call with Vladimir Putin, who is amassing tens of thousands of troops along the Russian-Ukrainian border again, in the same way that they did during the Obama presidency. Because Putin knows what the rest of us know, that when Democrat, weak-kneed, squished Democrats are in charge, he has nothing to fear. Barack Obama redlined, Vladimir Putin, about going into Crimea 
told him, you go into Crimea, there is going to be a problem. We will not allow that to stand. There will be sanctions, and there may be a military response. Putin walked across that red line, looked at Barack Obama, and gave him two middle fingers. And Barack Obama looked the other way and did nothing. For four years, when there was a president who stood up to bullies like that, Putin never made a move during the Trump years. Now it's back to the Biden years, the Obama-Biden same mindset in the Biden years. And suddenly Vladimir Putin is getting froggy again and is ready to jump. What do you think is going to happen when Joe Biden talks to Vladimir Putin today and tries to talk tough? You think he's going to be afraid? You think think Vladimir Putin is going to be afraid of the American military such as it's constructed right now? Where they're, where they're trading makeup tips instead of ammunition in boot camps, in barracks, in stunt at stations all over the uh, all over the world. What do you think Putin's going to do now? We once had a, mere, a military that was feared throughout the world. Now we have a military and we have a national security presence that is the laughing stock of the world. Eighty years later. The ghosts of those who lost their lives at Pearl Harbor are shaking their heads in disbelief at what we have become. We're going to talk to Mark Meadows after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Courtesy of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, thanks for being with us on the Authority this Tuesday. It's 9.37 now. Without further ado, let's bring our guest in. Uh, we talked a lot and did a little commemoration of uh, the 80th anniversary of uh, the Pearl Harbor attacks, but let's come current now and welcome the former Chief of Staff of the President of the United States, former Congressman from North Carolina's 11th Congressional District from 2013 to 2020, and the former Chairman and Founder, Co-Founder of the House Freedom Caucus, along with our friend, Congressman Jim Jordan. He is Mark Meadows, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman Meadows, or shall we say Chief Meadows, thank you so much for the time. How are you this morning? Uh, you should call me Mark. Uh, thank <laughs> you so much. It's great to be with all you, uh, your listeners, and, and truly the great patriots uh, there. And you're right, my good friend, uh, my best friend, Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, is uh, not only uh, a great patriot, Ohio should be very, very proud of, of his willingness to stand uh, for the values that uh, uh, come from Ohio instead of the values coming from Washington, D.C., well, I think that's very well said. And I got to tell you, I'm a little mad. And I told Congressman Jordan that last week. I talked to him weekly. And uh, he's not my congressman anymore when they redraw these districts or they have drawn the districts. So when 2022 comes around, his di- district is shifting a little bit. So uh, he's not going to be my guy anymore. He's still going to be my guy, though, if you understand my meaning. He's uh, guy I do understand that well. <laughs> and, and I know uh, I spoke to him about the potential change for districts. And, the, you know, and I think the sad part about it for him is, uh, you know, he 
loses a lot of, of people that he's had, you know, long-term relationships with and constituents. Mm-hmm. They're not just constituents. They're, they're friends, supporters, uh, fellow patriots. And so people like you, uh, you know, uh, he, he's, I, I can tell you in the privacy where there's no cameras on, he talks about the values, uh, that makes our country great and, uh, the great people in the state of Ohio. Well, he's exactly right. There are a lot of great people here, and I agree with your assessment of him. He does exactly that. Uh, Mark, before we talk about The Chief's Chief, your new book, and I want people to understand this is an extraordinary read and a really great insider's look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from his chief of staff. Before we talk about The Chief's Chief, though, I got a headline here. I, I just did a little quick search of your name because I wanted to make sure I had your district right in North Carolina, and a headline came up. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows will cease cooperation with the January 6th committee, uh, an announcement that's going to be made this morning. Can you tell me about that breaking story? Uh, I can, Bob. You know, one of the great things about doing live radio is is that if if news breaks, uh, you get to be the <laughs> you get to be the one. So uh, uh, you're my first radio hit. After that, uh, we've been working with the January 6th committee to try to reach an accommodation and help uh, them out, while at the same time pro- protecting the president's executive privilege, uh, his his privilege and my ability to speak to him and and have deliberative matters uh, is, uh, you know, one of the, the highest privileges that should be afforded a president. And and yet it became very clear that the committee was not going to honor that. And, and we found that uh, over the weekend, they actually had sent out subpoenas to third party uh, vendors in the uh, 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 cell phone vendors trying to get uh, information. Uh, and this is in spite of the fact that we uh, had already given them documents. They did that without noticing us. And so we sadly have come to a point where we don't think that they're trying to meet us uh, uh, 50% of the way and uh, and and can't look at, at uh, continuing to co- cooperate in a voluntary manner any longer. There's a, there's a part of the story that I saw yesterday that I wanted to ask you about. The chairman of the committee, Representative Benny Thompson, and I saw this statement, declared that uh, another witness, not you, another witness's um, assertion of his Fifth Amendment rights would be tantamount to an admission of guilt. Now, that's not the way I understand the Constitution. It's not, a way, not the way I understand uh, the law. Um, if they are treating witnesses as being guilty, if they assert their Fifth Amendment rights, then what is the point of this committee? How can it possibly arrive at anything even close to being a legal and reasonable outcome? Well, that's one of the additional things. I appreciate you pointing that out. Uh, that came to light, obviously, within the last 24 hours. Uh, and and you know, there's just no assurances that, that uh, our interactions with them would be treated fairly, and uh, so in in light of that, uh, you know, we had to make the difficult decision over the last 24 hours to uh, uh, cease to cooperate. And uh, you know, we've given them other alternatives. Uh, I, I can tell you that I'm not aware of anybody in the West Wing that had any advanced knowledge that a security breach of the Capitol was going to happen. Uh, obviously, we don't condone that. We condemn that. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, when when it appears that there's a very partisan uh, committee that is uh, already got a, a verdict, uh, it, it becomes very difficult to participate. Last question on this, then we'll get to the book, The Chief's Chief. Mr. Mark Meadows, 
what would you dis- how would you describe the goal of this committee that has been formed, especially a committee that kicked off Republican members who were chosen to be on it, including your friend and my congressman Jim Jordan? What is the goal of this committee? Well, obviously, it's more of a political goal than it is a policy goal, and and I, I find it uh, you know interesting that. You know, even even in a situation where uh, had Jim Jordan served, uh, you still would have had more Democrat members than Republican members. But uh, uh, you know, to kick Jim Jordan off and others shows that they already have uh, the answer. They already have uh, the final report written. They just want uh, additional fodder to be put in there. And so uh, when you look at this, we, we've already seen the impeachment uh, of Donald Trump not once but twice. And this impeachment uh, you know, process looks like that this is what they're continuing. These are the kind of hearings you would have prior to an impeachment, but they've all voted already for impeachment, and, uh, and it's very problematic. I'm glad to hear you say that. That's how I was going to describe it. It's a third bite at the impeachment apple here. They couldn't actually remove him from office the two times they did impeach him. And now this is a way to stop him from running in 2024 because they're terrified that he could actually win again. Um, and that's, that's correct. probably the goal of this, this committee. Let's talk about the chief's chief. You came in as chief of staff um, to the Trump White House literally right at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in March of 2020. I think it was around you know February and the beginning of March when they started talking about this terrible pandemic uh, that was coming. And uh, it, was, it was born in Wuhan, China. President Trump immediately jumps in and says, well, then we got to stop travel from China. You came into the White House to take over at exactly that time. Can you describe what it was like to enter a White House that had been going great guns in terms of the economy, in terms of our uh, foreign relations, in terms of our energy being independent? Uh, All of that was out the window because now everything ground to a halt right as you walked in. How did you handle that? Well, I tell you, it was one of the most difficult things because what I thought we were going to be able to do is is literally go into the White House, finish up some of the uh, policy objectives that the president had campaigned on to make sure that four more years was just a foregone conclusion. And yet what we saw was uh, the China virus coming, uh, you know, lockdowns very quickly, uh, supply chains that were just in utter disrepair. Uh, we've actually had to to really go into a crisis mode, uh, mobilize uh, the federal uh, assets, uh, similar to what you would do when you you know you're going into to war, uh, you know under the normal military terms. This was just a different kind of war, and uh, and so I highlight that in the book. You know where we we look at the tough decisions, the way that we had to to go about it, and quite frankly, uh, you know the the difficulty for me was uh, this was uncharted territory, not just for me but for everybody in the White House. And the president was trying to make informed decisions, keep America. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, I, I know that that uh, many many lives were saved because of the, que- uh, the president's quick action, despite what you might hear from some of the left wing media folks. 
Well, that's very well said. We are talking with Mark Meadows, former chief of staff for President Donald J. Trump. His new book is The Chief's Chief. He is also, of course, former longtime, long-serving congressman from North Carolina. When you say, you know, the president tried to keep everyone calm and tried to, you know, stop people from panicking, um, some people see that as a positive. I do. I understand exactly what he was trying to do rather than, you know, telling people to run for the hills. Oh my gosh, this deadly uh, plague is coming our way. Others said he did not take it seriously enough. And some say that the fact that he didn't, in their estimation, take it seriously enough and project it as much, that that ultimately cost him re-election. So aside from the irregularities and, quite frankly, what I think is still a stolen election, aside from that, but some say that it was closer than it should have been, in large part because COVID got the best of Donald Trump in the way that he presented it. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think at this point uh, we're finding out that Joe Biden uh, would would handle COVID uh, with a lot more tools in his uh, toolbox. Uh, he's handling it uh, uh, a lot worse than than President Trump did. Uh, you know, there's there's two sides of every coin, and uh, treating it. Uh, as if it is uh, something that you've got to fear at every single uh, turn, mandate vaccines, mandate this and mandate that and shut down everything. Uh, that's the other side of the coin. I, I can tell you that he took it very seriously, uh, spent more time on our COVID response than any other single thing uh, throughout that final year uh, of 2020. And, uh, and yeah, I've, I've heard the criticism that he should have taken it it differently. Listen, uh, the, the the leftist media was never going to give him a pass. Uh, yeah, you know, when he let Dr. Fauci talk, uh, they would they would criticize him. When he didn't let Dr. Fauci talk, they would criticize him. And uh, and I can tell you that uh, he was always about getting good information, whether it was from Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks, or when uh, a lot of us started to question some of their positions and. I highlight that in the book that you know Dr. Fauci has a number of different positions on uh, uh, on on items uh, that it. He, he brought in Dr. Scott Atlas so that we could have another uh, doctor with, with good advice. And so, so he took it serious. I think that that's a false criticism of, his, of him. Uh, I believe that, uh, you know, we've, we've got so many irregularities in terms of our uh, electoral process, whether it be in, in Pennsylvania or Georgia or any other state, uh, that that truly made a a big difference there. And that's something that we're going to have to get fixed as well. We are talking with Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff for President Donald J. Trump. His new book is called The Chief's Chief. You're going to want to read this, a really intimate look at inside the West Wing uh, under Donald Trump and with uh, Mr. Meadows as chief of staff. If, if he had it to do over again and if you were still in office, um, do you do you think you would advise him to keep Dr. Fauci on staff given all of the things that he has said and done, the perceived and I think are accurate according to Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and others, the lying to Congress about uh, funding this research in Wuhan, et cetera. Do you think if he had it to do over again, he would keep Fauci around? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, I, I can tell you there were a number of us in the West Wing that felt like that uh, we should asked Dr. Fauci to use his talents in other places uh, other than, uh, you know, as a, a close advisor to President Trump. Uh, part of that is we had made him, uh, you know, a, a 
of faith that was so common with with uh, the COVID response that uh, uh, a lot of criticism, uh, you know, would have come our way had had we parted ways. But had the decision, uh, you know, if we made the decision today, would Dr. Fauci been part of that team? Absolutely not. Uh, Mr. Meadows, you write in your book, The Chief's Chief, about President Trump's own experience with COVID, not talking about policy, but about his own health. And you talk about how uh, on uh, October 2nd of last year, 2020, when the president had tested positive, he tweeted out, don't be afraid of COVID. And he yanked off his mask as soon as he got to the White House, and he was projecting strength and really downplaying the severity of his illness. You write in the book that he was a lot sicker than he wanted anybody to know with a blood oxygen level of down to about 86%, which is dangerously low. Can you tell us more about how he was doing physically and why he wanted that to be uh, kind of kept secret from the public? Well, he obviously any time that you you go in, uh, he he was uh, was certainly uh, uh, dealing with the you know the COVID and and the difficulties there. I can tell you that uh, uh, you know he's stronger than an ox. He's actually a very strong individual, very healthy individual, uh, and and so to to see it get to him in that way was was tough but uh the other part of that is regeneron uh part of the story in the book is he had been advocating for regeneron for other people for therapeutics he ended up getting that and the re- recovery was very quick he was able to come back uh you know walk up the steps uh you know to into the white house uh you know anybody else that could do, could do that after having covid would have been uh you know it's a herculean task and so he wanted to let uh, the American people know that you know help was on the way and that that certainly we were working hard to get therapeutics to help them out. That is such an important thing for those who don't know Regeneron. That's the monoclonal antibody treatment that uh, a lot of physicians have recommended that has been dismissed by big pharma, including Pfizer and and, uh, and Moderna and the others that are making billions and billions off of selling the vaccines. And I want to ask you about the vaccines. President Trump was pro-vaccine. That's the reason he uh, spearheaded Operation Warp Speed to make them available. But now that it's become a political issue, people say people who don't want to get vaccinated are just you know Trump supporters and they're and they're denying the science here. Um, do you think if President Trump were in his second term right now, would he be mandating these vaccines the way Joe Biden is? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I, uh, listen, having having uh, something available and mandating something are two different things. And uh, so mandating a vaccine, uh, you know, he wanted to make sure uh, he, he put a whole lot of emphasis on therapeutics more so than on vaccines. And, uh, and having, uh, literally having the those available to the American people was important, but forcing them to do something uh, is is not who we are as Americans. It's not something that the president would support, and uh, I, I can tell you that he would he would be handling it very differently than uh, Joe Biden is handling it. Last question for you, Mr. Mark Meadows. Um, I had the privilege of interviewing the president uh, last uh, June, this past June. And he wouldn't answer me then, but he has dropped a few hints and nuggets here and there in subsequent interviews with other people. Do you believe he's going to run in 2024? And will you be a part of that campaign and potentially of that administration? Well, uh, 
obviously he hasn't made that decision uh, officially, even in your uh, questioning of him. Uh, you know, he continues to hint around about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you, since I don't work for him and, and certainly uh, don't speak for the campaign, uh, I'm, I'm trying to help him with all the preparations necessary for another four years. And uh, it would be my honor to serve with him and alongside him if that happens. Uh, at the same time, I can tell you, uh, uh, if I were a betting man, I would bet on him running again. I think uh, I think I concur from just some of the hints that he has given. And I'll tell you what, I think your book could go a long way toward helping him because it's an inside look at the reality of the Trump White House rather than the through the lens of the fake news and the coverage of the White House, the Trump White House, by the CNNs and NBCs of the world. So I'll encourage everyone to get this book from inside. It's The Chief's Chief by former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Uh, Mr. Meadows, honor and a privilege and a pleasure to talk with you again. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. It's great to be with you. God bless. Thank you. God bless you, too. Thank you, sir. Uh, I've, I've talked to Mark Meadows before, but not about a book like this. And uh, i got to tell you, I'm so excited about this. You, you're going to learn so much more about Donald Trump and the way he ran that office than you ever thought you could learn. And I think you're going to have a, a, a brand-new respect for him as well. 9.55, right back. Okay, 9.58. Uh, don't forget, we've got Kersenow coming up after the top of the hour. Kersenow's going to play Hurt today. I think I appealed to his pride and to his manhood this morning as I texted him multiple times. He, t- he texted me last night, did uh, Peter Kersenow, and said, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm not feeling well. I'm a little bit under the weather. Not sure if I'll be able to go tomorrow or not. So I just wanted to give you an update, you know, just in case. So today, I hit him. I hit him with every cliche that I could think of about playing hurt. You can't make the club while you're sitting in the tub. Athletes will get that, particularly football players. Rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. You know, Jack Youngblood played in the Super Bowl on a broken leg and never missed a play. That's true. Michael Jordan once played a finals game with the flu and 103-degree fever. That's true. Kirk Gibson hit a pinch-hit home run in the World Series with two broken hips and two torn ACLs. That part might be exaggerated, but the Kirk Gibson injured home run thing is true. And oh, by the way, Rocky fought the rematch with Creed with basically one eye. So let's go, Kersenow. And I think I guilted him into it. I prided him into it, and he is going to be joining us after the top of the hour. Let me go to Matthew and Medina before we uh, get there, though. Matthew, thanks for your patience. You're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. That's just fine, Bob. Good morning to you, and uh, what I got to say won't take too long. Okay. Uh, I am 94 years old now. In 1941, I was 14 years old, and it was a Sunday uh, uh, in 1941. We were all up for church and uh, getting ready to go. It was a day just like today, nice, no snow, cold but clear. And about 10 minutes to 8 in the morning, we had the radio on, and uh, the broadcaster broke in, and he said that the Japs had bombed Pearl Harbor. Bob, I'm telling you, we were in shock. We couldn't believe it. Here they were, and the Japs were talking peace in Washington. That's the part we got stabbed in the back, Bob. They set us up. They sure did, and uh, 
You know, there is a, there's a hero that lives in Medina. He uh, owns the Medina Cutstone Company. He was on the USS Arizona when she was torpedoed by the Japs. It, and uh, many people died in the water because when the ship rolled over on its side, all the fuel ran out. And from the fire on the ship, it caught the sea on fire. And many men were cooked to death in the fire. And it was just a horrible thing. Hickam Field was strafed by the Air Force. And uh, men, uh, pilots were trying to run to their planes to get on the, to see if they could go up and fight against these guys. Right. They were killed from the strafing. And it was just a horrible thing. And we were in shock for weeks after. We couldn't get over it. But then, well, Matthew, here's the thing. We we and thank you, my friend, so much for bringing this this bringing us this uh, firsthand historical perspective. I appreciate you very much. Um, this is why I brought it up this morning, and I made the comparison to 9/11. We have all seen the people hanging out the windows, for example, of the Trade Center towers, with an inferno behind them, and a choice: burn to death or make that leap. Um, we have that imagery in our heads. We don't have the imagery of people cooking in a, in, a, in a sea that was on fire. We don't want that imagery, but we do want to know what happened because it, it will give us the perspective I think we need to truly appreciate uh, the horrors of that day and, of course, the sacrifices that followed uh, that horrible day, December 7, 1941. We need that perspective. Matthew, thank you. God bless you, sir. We'll be back with Chris and now after the news. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.